We are going to be in the book of John today, if you have your Bible with you. It's a big surprise, I know, to many of you. Um, we've been in John for a few years now. Um, we're going to be in chapter 13. If you have a Bible and want to open that up, uh, we'll be in verses 33 to 38 of chapter 13. We'll also put it on the, uh, on the screen if you need that. As you're turning there, let me just kind of remind you what, where, we've, where we've been if you're newer here. The author of this book, John, uh, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And John specifically was uh, one of the dis- disciples who was closest to Jesus. And, and in this book, uh, John, as he was guided by the Holy Spirit, um, he wrote down the most significant events and conversations that he recalled Jesus having And in this present passage that we're looking at, Jesus is eating his last meal the night before his arrest and trial and death on the cross. And in all likelihood, he probably didn't sleep at all that night. He was was probably awake the whole time. And and he's giving his disciples here at this last last supper final instructions for them about their future and about his plans for them as they head into the future. And so uh, we do believe that God's word is uh, perfect, that it is uh, breathed out by him, that it is sharper uh, than a sword. And so let's ask God to use his word now to touch us. Lord, as we open your word, we, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us now. We, we know we can just read these words. We can sit here, we can listen, and honestly get nothing out of it. Uh, apart from you. And so we ask that you would help us. Uh, We need your help to understand this, to be changed by it. So we ask that you would help us to get a clearer picture of who you are, Jesus. Help us to treasure you more today by what we learn about you and and, uh, work in our hearts. Please uh, bless the children and the teachers next door and in the nursery. We ask that you would keep away uh, any evil forces, God, uh, that would try to distract us. Keep us, uh, please keep away Satan and his demons from us, Lord. We pray this in your name, amen. Okay, so John 13, 33 to 38. So he's sitting around the table with grown men, some commercial fishermen, and he starts by calling them little children. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So we spent several weeks here talking about Jesus' command to Christians to love one another in uh, verses 34 to 35. You can listen to those online if you want, if you haven't heard them. But today we're going to focus on verses 36 to 38 here. Jesus 
tells his disciples here, I'm leaving, guys. I'm not going to be here very much longer. And he tells them where he's going, and he tells them they, they can't come right now with him. And he's, he's going to die on the cross, and then he's going to rise from the dead after three days. And then he's going to hang out on earth for 40 days and appear to people in his resurrected body. And then he will f- rise physically into the clouds in front of a large group of people who will witness it, and he'll disappear as he returns to heaven. And uh, he tells all of his disciples in the small room this, and he's told them several times before that this is going to happen. But what Jesus really wants them to know here is that after he ascends to heaven, uh, after he's waiting to come back to earth again, which he said he's going to do, he wants the disciples, he wants us, all Christians, to love one another well in the meantime to love the world well in the meantime as we take this good news about Jesus to the world, this, this gospel of who he is and what he's done for us to save us. And uh, as Jesus is saying this, it's almost like Peter doesn't even hear any of this talk about loving one another. He's, he's still stuck on the fact that Jesus is leaving them. And so in verse 36, right after Jesus gives them instructions about loving one another, Peter's response is, Lord, where are you going? Has nothing to do with the love that we've just been talking about. He says, Lord, where are you going? So he's still trying to wrap his mind around the fact that Jesus is leaving them. He's, Peter's not ready yet to talk about the mission. He's not ready to talk about what Jesus wants for them going forward. And so Jesus repeats himself and he tells Peter, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. So Jesus gives Peter here a little bit more information, and Jesus tells Peter, it's, it's not that we'll never be together again, uh, but there's going to be a few days when I'm dead in the ground, and I'm not going to be with you. And then there's, when I go back to heaven, you're going to live on earth for a few decades, and I'm not going to be here physically, but you're going to be okay. I'm going to send my spirit to help you and to comfort you and to guide you. And as great as that is, this really isn't what Peter wants to hear. Uh, he doesn't want to be with Jesus later. He wants to be with Jesus now. Okay? Peter tells Jesus in verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Peter doesn't want to be with Jesus later. He tells Jesus he'll do anything to be with him. I'll, I'll even lay down my life for you if that's what it means to be with you. Now, sometimes we only give Peter a bad rap because during Jesus' trial, Peter will tell some strangers that he does not know Jesus. That's what he's going to do here in the next 12 hours. When you put that aside, though, at this point, okay, and when you simply look at the Peter that you see in this passage— you see a man who truly loves Jesus and who really wants to be with Jesus. Despite all of Peter's issues, I think he really means what he says here. I think he's being genuine. He doesn't want to be separated from Jesus. In fact, it appears that Jesus' teaching on loving one another kind of goes in one ear, out the other, because Peter's more concerned about how can I keep Jesus with me? Now, Peter was imperfect. He was sinful, like you and me. Peter um, was probably naive. He uh, had some bad habits, like you and I do, but at least he wants Jesus. He wants to be with him. 
In fact, he's trying to figure out a way in his head that he can get around Jesus' plan and make it work so that Jesus never leaves, okay? But the big thing is this. Peter's not, in his mind, cool with the idea that he'll be with Jesus later. That's okay, but what I want is Jesus right now. Don't you want to want God the way that Peter does? This, see, this is a desire for God that is not something we find in ourselves naturally. Um, on the contrary, Jesus says that in us, we, we oppose Jesus. Now, what does that look like? Well, sure, we might want God in this abstract sense. We might be interested in spiritual things. We might really like God as we create him in our own mind and as we want him to be. But wanting the true God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, as he's revealed in Scripture, that's actually a miracle. (laughs) I know many people who consider themselves Christians, but I wonder if they've actually ever read the teachings of Jesus. It's very easy to say that, oh, I'm all about Jesus. I like Jesus. He had good stuff to say. If you've never read what Jesus said, Jesus has some hard teachings. He has some very countercultural propositions that if you were to read aloud at your workplace, you would be called bigoted. If you consider yourself a Christian, you really should read Jesus' words for yourself so you can know what you're signing up for. Because when you actually sit down and read Jesus' words, either in the Gospels or because Jesus is God and all Scripture is God-breathed, he spoke through the New Testament writers and the Old Testament writers, what happens is Jesus' words affect you when you read them. They either ring true to you, and, and if you're one of Jesus' sheep, they probably make you more excited to follow this good shepherd, or Jesus' words when you read them might make you say, I cannot believe this is what Jesus says. I can't believe this is what he wants from me. I don't want any part of this. God does a miracle whenever he changes a person's heart and gives him or her a desire for God as God really is. See? So do you desire to know God as he really is? Do you desire for God to know you? Do you want to have a friendship with God? And I know for some of us that's kind of a weird idea. But do you, want to, do you want to talk to God throughout the day? Do you want to learn from God what it means to be like him? What it means to be a godly man or a godly woman? Do you want to be with Jesus in the flesh for eternity? Because that's what heaven is, you guys. It's being with Jesus forever. In John Piper's book, When I Don't Desire God, he writes, God is glorified in his people by the way we experience him, not merely by the way we think about him. Indeed, the devil thinks more true thoughts about God in one day than the saint does in his lifetime, and God is not honored by it. The problem with the devil is not his theology, but his desires. Our chief end is to glorify God, the great object. And we glorify God most fully when we treasure him, when we desire him, when we delight in him so supremely that we let goods and kindred go 
and display his love to the poor and to the lost and to one another. Are you like Peter, who's, who's not excited about just being with Jesus later, but you want to be with him now? See, you want to talk to him right now. You want to experience Jesus, his, his presence now, his peace that he offers now, his power in your life right now. When Jesus went to the cross, he became a substitute for you and for me. He became our sin and our deadness to God if we were in Christ. And on that cross, when he was killed, our sin, our deadness to God was put to death, okay? And Jesus suffered the wrath of God, his holiness, so that all who believe in him don't have to suffer that wrath. Now, you and I, and so that we can have a friendship with God now, okay? So that God is no longer, we're no longer his enemies, but now we're reconciled to God. We can have a friendship with God. Now, we can't have Jesus in the flesh right now. Jesus is in heaven, but we can have Jesus right now. We can, he says that when he rescues us, when we trust in him, he puts his love into us. He puts his spirit into our hearts and he's living in us. So that means that he's in us, but he's also um, omnipresent. He's, he's, he's God, and so he's with us in his spirit in an amazing sense. He's physically in heaven, but what this means now is because of what he's done for us, we can approach him right now. We can worship him right now confidently because we're hidden inside of him. That's the language that the Bible uses. We're hidden inside the perfection of Jesus through faith. We are perfectly accepted and fully loved if we've trusted in Jesus. That's awesome. If you don't have that kind of relationship with God today, then that is what God wants for you. That is what this church wants for you. That's, that's our prayer that God would work in your heart and give you a desire for him like you've never had today. Or if you've had that desire and you have drifted from God, we pray that God would reignite the spark in your heart that was once there and that you would know him in this season of your life like you once did. If you want to do that, if you need help, if you're curious about talking to God, we're not afraid about any questions about God here, okay? We're just real, <laughs> We're all people. And so please feel free to talk to me or after the service or one of our leaders or another Christian you came with. But man, life is short. Let's not waste time just talking about sports all the time. That's great. That's great. But those, you know, think about this. Sometimes I was, it's hard to even grasp how big eternity is when we're talking about that. The closest, I mean, we can really gauge is maybe a thousand years. But think about this. Say you're here 70, 80 years. What you do now, what you believe now, determines how you're going to spend the next thousand years. And the thousand years after that. And the thousand years after that and after that. So this is a pretty critical time period, Right? And so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're thinking through this stuff with us. You know, the second to last verse in the Bible says, come, Lord Jesus. 
Come, Lord Jesus. It's this wanting Jesus now. Is this our prayer? Do we want Jesus to come back to earth soon? Or, heaven forbid, is our mindset that we're so comfortable with our lives on earth that it really doesn't matter to me whether Jesus comes back sooner or later? Are we like Peter, on the other hand, who says, I don't want to be with you just later. I want to be with you right now. I want you to come back to this world so that I can be with you and so that the suffering of this world will be over, at least, at least for those who love you. Do you ever read the news stories and it just breaks your heart? Man, on Thursday, I don't read the newspaper before you do a quiet time. <laughs> and you gotta be prepared to read those headlines. But I did this week. I read a couple of news stories before I opened my Bible and was with God a little bit. And it just, all I said, I said, it literally made me say, Lord Jesus, come soon, come soon. And uh, the first story was based around this picture. Maybe some of you saw it. I think we have it. Um, this little boy named Omran from Syria, where we often hear about all these wars going on in different parts of the world, but we don't see a face to it. And honestly, um, if we don't make a really hard effort to know what's going on, we're basically um, recipients of only what the media wants to tell us. And so this was an instance where the media showed this picture of Omran, a, about a five-year-old boy um, whose house had just been the, uh, struck. It was an airstrike in the middle of the night. And there's a video, and maybe you've seen it, but they ran in the rescue teams. You know, who knows where his family is. They run in. They pull this kid out of this rubble. They find him. They put him right in the ambulance, and then all the adults leave. And you've got this kid sitting here, and then they just start taking pictures of him. And um, this, this war is all this boy's ever known. Like this war is probably older than him. And he's just kind of, he's in shock. He's not crying. He's probably got broken bones. He's got blood all over his face. But he's, he's in shock. And in the video, he's kind of just looking. You know, it's kind of like when you wake up after you've been hit real hard. And um, I read that so far in this, just this war, they've lost 4,500 children just like this. And that this kid's town, I think it's called Aleppo, gets hit every day. Well, this is reality for this kid. And he's a human and he's a, a little boy just, just like we could have in our streets. And man, I just see that. It's like, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus. And then right after that, I read another news story and the title was, this is in our country, from our country, Abused four-year-old child tells police her name is Idiot. The little girl was abused so badly she had a black eye, dried blood in the corner of her mouth, and deep purple bruises all over her body. The girl's only four and lives with her mom and her mom's live-in boyfriend. And police say she was called an idiot so often and for so long that it was the word that sprung to her young mind when a social worker asked her name. <laughs> Some of you have been there. Maybe not that extreme, I don't know, but. This is a broken, messed up world we're in. And I know, and we could go and tell story after story after story about each of our lives and the brokenness we're going through. And <sighs> it's real. And, and what, one of the things we pray and what God tells us to pray is, come, Lord Jesus. Because when we see this suffering that's all around us, and a lot of it, we just do not understand why. Um, 
may it cause us to want Jesus more. Okay? May the suffering in our world cause us to want people to know Jesus before he comes back. Jesus is our only hope. He is the only hope uh, who can sustain us in our pain. He is the only one who promises us with his own blood, with his own life and death, that we have a future coming that, where there will be no more pain or suffering in Jesus. Is that what you want? That's what I want. Do you desire not just to know about Jesus, but to actually know him personally, the one who's died to rescue us from this brokenness? Do you want to experience the power of the resurrection which he had in you? Do you want to experience that now and not just later? Well, you and I can because Jesus paid it all for us on the cross. Peter wanted to be with God now and forever, but he didn't quite grasp everything that was necessary to make that happen. Okay. Um, that's why Peter asked Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Peter couldn't go to the cross. Not now. The reason why Peter couldn't follow Jesus to the cross is because even if Peter died for Jesus, it would not be enough to keep him with Jesus forever. Even if Peter were a martyr, it couldn't save his soul. It couldn't give him eternal life. Only Jesus' death for his friends was powerful enough to save his friends. Okay, only Jesus' death for the sins of his followers was strong enough to kill their sins and to kill sin's punishment of eternal death. So Jesus is the one who had to go to the cross. Only Jesus was both the Lion of Judah, which we sang this morning, and the Lamb of God, whose perfect life and perfect death was a perfect, acceptable sacrifice before a perfect God and perfect holiness. Only Jesus could do this. That's why. Why can't I go with you now? Because you and I can't save ourselves. <laughs> you and I can't give ourselves this life. You and I can't get out of this crud on our own. <laughs> you and I can't give ourselves purpose in life on our own. We can't rescue ourselves from fear and death just by trying to pretend that that's not what's coming. Jesus is the only rescuer there is, okay? And your, your self-help books can't do it. Our new age spirituality can't do it. It says, man, just believe what you want. There's truth or there's not truth, okay? It's not whatever you want it to be. There, there's real truth. Our man-made gods cannot save us. Jesus is the only one who can give you what you were created for, which is never-ending flourishment and friendship with God himself. It's what you were made for. Because God is awesome and he's gracious. If you took the, the greatest, most kind and compassionate person that we could even think of or design, that person's death for us would not be enough to bring us to God. It had to be God himself because everybody else falls way too short of his glory. That's how glorious God is. Peter was, was well-intended, I think, when he told Jesus, why can't I go with you to the cross? But he was naive. Peter was a bit delusional here. And so, so are we if we think that we can get to God any other way except through God in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is everything to us. And get this, just as God saves us according to Jesus' merits, his perfection, this is also what keeps us with God and what will keep us with God forever. This is the grounds on which we approach God every day in friendship and in prayer. It's because of Jesus' perfect merits given to us. So if you think you're unworthy to approach God, you are on your own. If you're not connected to Jesus through faith, you're unworthy to approach Jesus. But if you've trusted in this God, if you've trusted in his death and resurrection for you, then you can come confidently to God every hour because Jesus' perfect merits are now yours through faith. It's called imputation. They're credited to your account as if they were your own. And once Jesus saves you, he makes, he, in this process, he makes you a new creation by the, by the merit of his blood, and you are his forever. And so you and I need to stop trying to find our worth and acceptance and value in working hard to be good enough for God. You already are if you're in Christ, okay? Find your worth in Jesus and who he has already made you into. And who has he made you into? You need to read the New Testament <laughs> to understand that. You need to read the Bible because you're not going to find it on TV or Netflix. Okay. Now, Jesus' perfect marriage, this is one, one way people will take it. Well, sweet. If, I, if that's all I have to do is trust in Jesus, that means I've got the free pass to do whatever I want. Well, Jesus' perfect merits don't give you permission to sin. And... Uh, they don't give you permission to love the world. In fact, that's evidence if you're living that way that you're not saved at all, unrepentantly. For the true Christian, Jesus' merits will drive him or her to experience more freedom from sin as he or she desires God and seeks to honor God more, even though he or she still sins, right? Peter couldn't go to the cross for the sin of the world because he was not the Messiah. And Peter couldn't ascend with Jesus to heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father because Peter wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the Savior. Only Jesus was the Savior. And Jesus tells Peter that you'll be, you'll be with me someday, but not yet. And for anybody who knows that Peter is going to deny Jesus several times real soon, it's all the more amazing that uh, Jesus promises Peter that he will definitely be with Jesus in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Peter swears to Jesus, I'll do anything for you. I'll even die for you. But in verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Okay, remember it's late evening when Jesus says this, the roosters crow in the morning around sunrise. And Jesus tells Peter that in less than 12 hours, essentially, when the sun rises, Peter will have denied Jesus three times. So forget this laying down your life stuff, okay? Jesus says in the next 12 hours, Peter's gonna deny that he even knows him. And yet we have no reason to believe that in Peter's uh, expression of faith here at this Last Supper, that he's being ingenuine. His desire to be with Jesus is real, but Peter is naive about how feeble he is. Okay? He doesn't realize how fearful of people he would become when his life was really on the line. 
Peter's promise to save Jesus' life at all costs is an empty promise. Peter was naive about the weakness of his own flesh. And you and I can be just as naive. How many of us have gone on a church retreat or to a church camp or a Christian music festival? We, We were surrounded by other Christians. We encountered God in a powerful way. We were inspired to change our lives when we got back home. And then we got back home. We rode that high as long as we could. We tried to read the Bible every day and talk to God more and stay uh, motivated to pursue God, but before long, we just kind of lost our steam. And we stopped reading the Bible again, and our prayer life wasn't real exciting anymore, and we were back in our old environments around non-Christians, and we essentially just waved the white flag and, and gave into life as usual again. Or how often do we come to church on a Sunday morning, and we put on our happy church people masks and pretend everything is great, and We worship the Lord and we enjoy the worship if the music is good. We listen to the sermon. We try to get something out of it if it's entertaining enough. And maybe on a good Sunday, we're actually motivated to go home and and to look over our sermon notes, maybe read the Bible a little bit, pray more, try to love others better. And by Sunday night, we've totally blown it. Right? You've already gotten in an argument with somebody. So, so you blew that. Uh, you're not around Christians anymore. The Bible's not as exciting as it was this morning. You don't feel like you know how to pray. And then you go to work or school the next day, and it's back to life as normal, back to surviving the daily grind, and, and God just kind, of, just kind of gets put on the back burner. And even harder than that, maybe your work environment is, uh, or your school environment is where your peers and friends Man, they're, they're, they're not even, they're not Christian at all. Like maybe your workplace is filled with cussing and dirty jokes and gossip and negativity and trying to impress one another by having the biggest toys and the most fun vacations and the craziest weekends. And maybe you feel excluded by your peers because you're a Christian or, or people are always apologizing to you when they say a cuss word, which always makes me laugh. Um, especially when I'm like 10 minutes in a conversation with someone and then they find out I'm a pastor. Um, Or maybe people are just as if that's the greatest problem, cussing, right? Or maybe people are just mean to you because you're a follower of Jesus. But this this is sadly our reality that possibly some of us, some of you have given into this into the world, into your non-Christian friends, maybe your way of surviving the Christian life is by becoming just like your peers. Rather than taking the very narrow road of following Jesus, it's just easier to take the wide road and to join in. Join in on the cussing and dirty jokes and gossip and slander and never-ending attempts to try to outdo one another in a million ways and And maybe you've never actually denied Jesus with your words. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but maybe you deny Jesus every day by who you are at work, at school, and at sports practice at home, and you just kind of know you're a phony. For many of us, this is sadly our life story. Uh, This is the only experience we know of what it means to be a Christian. Work hard, try to be a good person, take your kids to church, Try to get excited about God when you're at church and hopefully in the end it will pay off. 
But this type of existence is not what Jesus wants for you or for me. (laughs) Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you this type of mediocre existence. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you feel terrible about yourself, to make you feel guilty all the time and condemned. So how do we get out of this? Well, you see, instead of making us making empty promises to God like Peter did, God, I'll, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, we have to start, we begin our day by thanking Jesus that it's his promise to us to never leave us or forsake us, okay? When our relationship with Jesus begins in faith in his work and his promises, instead of trusting in our works for him and our promises to him, then we gain the correct perspective on how God plans to transform us for his glory. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to follow Jesus, to read a little bit of the Bible, to pray? Why is it so hard to love others? Well, many of us, all of us probably, are naive. And perhaps, uh, we don't consider enough the power against us to not be like Jesus. We have to understand that there are very powerful forces working against us that do not want you and me to follow Jesus. These forces do not want us to be changed. They want us to think, feel, speak, and act the exact same way we did last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and even before we were Christian. The Bible says that these three forces are the world around us and ourselves, our flesh, and the devil, who is, uh, is a created angel who opposed God, wanted to be God, and has been condemned to hell. Okay. And in the meantime, his goal is to make you and me as ineffective as possible for God. And so these three forces work powerfully to make us fail. And this is the thing, none of us, not you, not me, have the power in ourselves to go against them. You do not have a chance against this world or your body or the devil on your own. We're just like Peter. We can make big promises to God that we'll fight for him, we'll never let you down. But at the end of the day, in our flesh, we're exactly like Peter. We deny God with our thoughts and our words and our actions. So the only way to defeat the power of this world, the power of your body, the power of the devil, is first to trust in Jesus who beat these powers for you already when he died on the cross. Okay? So if you don't trust in Jesus, if you don't believe he's got a resurrection, there's not historical evidence, but you've never actually read about it, right? You, take the, you hear about what your profs say. By the way, man, if you're taking religious class at a secular university, which I did, I have a minor in religious studies from a secular university, just make sure you uh, check their references, okay? I'm not saying they're not qualified. I'm just saying <laughs> college students in that environment, a lot of people just don't know what they're talking about. That's just reality. They haven't really studied the historic tradition. A lot of them aren't in the historic Christian tradition. And so just don't believe everything you hear in that college room, okay? Um, But uh, 
get back. Sorry, I got excited there. Um, <clears throat> this is the this is reality, man. If we don't have Jesus' Spirit helping us, we don't have a chance. We do not have a chance against against these forces. In fact, the Bible says that you're a slave to these things. You're going to stay a slave to these things forever, even after you die. And, Unless, unless you go to God, unless he saves you. And if he's made you reborn, then this is kind of where you and I are at. There's a spiritual realm, which we don't fully understand or, or see everything there. But in the spiritual realm, we have through faith already been assured eternal victory over the world, your flesh, and the devil because of what Jesus did. None of those things will be working against you in heaven. And what this means for us in, in, on earth now is that we can live in peace knowing our eternity is secured because of Jesus, because Jesus has declared us not guilty in the sight of God the Father. But at the same time in this life, we're in a battle. We're in a battle against these forces. Um, the good news is this. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to help us and to give us power during our lives so that we can love God, so that we can pursue God, so that we stand up for God. And uh, this is why we've got to abide in Jesus. This is one in John 15. This is what he's going to talk about, abiding in him. We've got, a, we've got Jesus is where we rest. That's the center of the wheel for us. That Jesus is... When Paul talks about praying without ceasing, that means Jesus has to be on our mind a lot. That means throughout the day, we're just praying, God, please help me with this. Help this person with this. Help this person who's lost. We gotta depend completely on Jesus throughout the day. And that's hard when we're really, because of our sin, prideful and self-dependent. We have to say, God, instead, this isn't my money. This isn't my job. This isn't my house. This isn't my family. All of it is yours, and I'm nothing without you. Jesus is the source of our power. We've got to understand, um, we have to change our mindset a little bit, that we are soldiers in a spiritual battle, and these enemies want to take us out. <laughs> they want to make us weak and stagnant. So this means Christianity, the entirety of Christianity is not about coming to church and and then during the week, sitting in your comfortable chair by your window, sipping on a cup of coffee and reading a short devotional. That's part of the battle. That can give you a little boost to fight the battle. But the real battle is when you're fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil to believe that Jesus has already done what's necessary to save us and to believe that God is awesome for doing it and to believe that he's worthy of our worship and obedience, and to believe that he's going to give us the power to persevere through all of the junk we're going through, all of our present trials, and all of the temptations that the world throws at us. That's the battle. But don't be naive. May I not be naive about the power, the power. These are strong forces. They're not as strong or stronger than God, but they are strong. Do not be surprised by temptations in your life, even when they, those temptations haven't popped up in 10 years in your life. Don't be surprised by the evil ways that your flesh and Satan will tempt you to think about other people. Don't be surprised by the evil things that your flesh, this world, and Satan are gonna tempt you to do to other people. 
Don't be surprised when your brothers and sisters in Christ fall, when they fail. And don't condemn them because that could just as easily be you. Our job as a church is to restore one another, to bring people back to repentance. Instead, we've got to stand firm. We've got to fight together to believe the truth that Jesus has given to us. Um, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 describes how, you, how we are to fight the good fight. When I mean, you see shirts sometimes that say fight the good fight, this is from the Bible, okay? This is the phrase. This isn't a phrase made up by the UFC, okay? This is the Bible. Uh, Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. See, God doesn't leave you unequipped for the battle. You need to put it on. You need to put the armor on. Take up the whole armor of God that you may able, be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let us not fool ourselves, you guys, into thinking that this life will be easy for us if we follow Jesus. We have to understand the power of the world, our flesh and the devil are real, and then we have to put on the armor of God through faith in Jesus to fight this war together. Satan has, he knows, he knows us, he knows humanity, he has tactics. He'll try to keep us down. Do not let your sins and failures keep you down for long. Jesus did not die for you to be a victim of your enemies, but to be a victor over your enemies. That's why he died, okay? Now, it's ironic here that Peter told Jesus he would never deny Jesus and that he would lay down his very life for Jesus when in reality, Peter would deny Jesus, but Jesus would be the one who would lay down his life for Peter and for you and for me. At his last supper, Jesus knew full well what was coming. Okay, that's one of the reasons earlier it said he was horrified at the thought of going to the cross. He knew that Peter was going to deny him, but he still promised Peter that Peter would go to heaven with him later on. Jesus knew at this last supper uh, that Peter and the other disciples would scatter. They would abandon Jesus to be judged and flogged and hung on the cross alone, but Jesus still loved them. And he still went to the cross to save them. He could have pulled the plug right there. He could have said, no, I'm done. Forget this. 
Praise God, the same is true for you and me of what Jesus did for us. At that last supper, Jesus knew all the ways that you and I would rebel against him and that we would worship idols. He knew that we would deny him with our words and our thoughts and our actions. And knowing all of that ahead of time, Jesus still went to the cross. He still endured the torture of the cross for you and for me. And he died to give us life, abundant life, real life, that's way better than anything we can dream up or find in this world. And he, denied to, he, uh, he died to, to uh, assure our security with him. He died to give us power to defeat the darkness of sin in our own lives. And so, man, with this power of Jesus, which is greater than he who is in this world, may we pray to God, Lord, give me a heart that wants to be with you now. May God fill us with a desire to live for the glory of God, to be God-centered in what we do and say. May God give us power to persevere in the battles because it's tiring and hard. And may God give us joy even in our pain because we know this. We know that our salvation, our power, our love, our hope for the future rests on Jesus' faithfulness to us, not on our faithfulness to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage of scripture you've given us. And we need your strength, Lord, as we head into this week. We know that um, we're just like Peter and we want to we, we want to grow and change. We want to become more and more victorious over the sin and our habits in our life. So we pray for your mercy and grace that you would cover us this week, that this week might be different than last week, God, that uh, you would give us more strength and more power and that we on our end would seek you, that we would seek it, Lord, that we would ask for help, that we would care enough to look at your words in the gospels and read them that we would think about who we are without you and where we're headed in this life and after this life without you, that we would care enough to think about these things, God. I just thank you that you're not a God who just pulls the plug. But you went to the cross even when you know we would pull the plug. (laughs) You're so faithful to us, and we thank you for that, God, and we thank you for what you've done for us. Please give us more faith. Please help us to love one another as you've loved us. Please work this out in our lives. Please help us learn to become godly men and women chasing after you and resting in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.